thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Dave Jacoby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC is live from the Apex this weekend for UFC Vegas 64, headlined by Marina Hodriguez versus Amanda Lemos. We'll, of course, be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on this main card. This is part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays, where we'll also give you an underdog in a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat this weekend. In addition to that, we're also bringing you the interviews that you know and love. Kicking off the show this week is White Kong, Jake Hadley, and later on in the show we'll be joined by Johnny Munoz, both of which are fighting this weekend. And before we get to all that great content, I have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Pickett. The Pickett social betting platform allows you to sync all of your action from all of your sportsbooks accounts right in one nice, neat little spot. Not only that, but you can stay up to date on all the bets your friends are dropping and show off your big scores as well. It's a great place to build a following if you're an up-and-comer in the sports betting world, or hey, maybe even you're an established veteran looking to expand that audience. But it's so much more than just sharing bets with your friends or the people you're trying to get to follow you. There's so many cool features on Pickett. But my personal favorite is the security and privacy the app allows. You never have to worry about your information winding up in some sleazy third party. In fact, you can hide anything you want from the public, including the dollar amounts. Maybe you just want to work with unit sizes of your own choosing. Really, there's infinite reasons to love and use Picket. So whether you're new, a regular, or an experienced better, stop what you're doing right now. Join the Picket community by downloading the app on the Google Play Store or the App Store. Picket brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. And it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Jake Hadley, who fights Carlos Candelario at UFC Vegas 64. That fight is on November 5th. So, Jake, I wanted to start by talking about, you know, you you had a fight at UFC 278, one that was, you know, going to be in front of a big live audience. I know you had to pull out of that with an injury, and obviously I'm not going to make you disclose all of your uh, information on your injury here, especially going into a fight, but how has recovery been for that? Have you Have you feel like you're back to your regular self now? Yeah, basically what it was is um, I picked up an injury during my fight, which I didn't think was as bad as it actually was when it comes to um, scans and etc. So um, when I had the scans and etc., basically I had to be out for a period of time, um, which I which I had to take off, which I did. But I, you know, I did bits of training around it. So um, you know what I mean. Um, I'm fully recovered from that now because I actually took the time to let it heal and whatever. So I'm back to normal now. That's awesome to hear. Now, I'm curious, too, because obviously, you know, with that injury in your debut and and the debut didn't exactly go that well for you. Were you frustrated that you kind of had to, like, wait a little bit extra long to rebound from that? Yeah, well, um, you know, I actually had a serious injury one minute into the fight. So, you know, um, you know. Um, it's a bit of a sad thing to happen during the fight, but um, yeah, I was frustrated that I couldn't get back in the cage straight away because that's what I wanted to do. But it gave me more time to, I think, re- reassess the performance and have a look at some of the things and correct some of the things in the gym more. 
So yeah. I think it, overall, overall, it's been a benefit that I've had to wait a bit longer to fight. Absolutely, and and that's always a big thing that fighters take out of their losses. Now, I'm curious though, do do you feel like a lot of that loss was just because of that injury, or did did you feel like there were lots of things that you had to kind of go back to the the gym and, and tune up? Yeah, there's quite a few things I think I had to go to the gym and tune up on um, from the fight. Obviously, you know the injury didn't help me, but like I'm not like saying that, you know. I'm trying to put him down and say that the only one because of the injury because that's not the fact. But um, you know, you know, I've picked up a few things from the fight and I've gone gone back and corrected it. Awesome to hear. Awesome to hear. Now I, I want to get to talking about your fight coming up too, not just dwelling on the past. But before I do, I, I always like hearing the stories of of fighters' nicknames and where they came from. I'm a big fan of hearing them. You got the nickname White Kong. Do you mind sharing with me where, where the origin of White Kong and where that came from? Yeah, basically, uh, my first MMA coach, well, you know, one of my first MMA coaches, um, we was actually did a, a weightlifting session, like a strength and conditioning session. And then, then after we finished, um, we was in the mirror just flexing off, and he was like, "Ah, oh, White Kong," <laughs> and it kind of like stuck from there. You know what I mean? So yeah. I love it. I love it. Now let's get to talking about this upcoming fight too, because you're fighting a guy. In Carlos Candelario, a guy who who also likes to do quite a bit of grappling. He's a guy who likes to mix it up on the mats. When you got offered Carlos Candelario, you went back, looked at some of his fights. How did you assess those grappling skills? What do you think of him on the mats? You know, I think he's a good opponent. I think um, they're all good in the UFC, so there's no easy fights in the UFC. I think... um... I think I have advantages over him in every aspect of the game. We talk about the striking, I feel I'm better than in the striking, in the wrestling and in the jiu-jitsu. I feel like I'm all around better fighter than him. Also, I feel like I'm more experienced than him, even though he's had one more fight than me. Um, I should I, I believe like he's only fought good opponents in his last three fights. I think the rest have been tomato cans. So, um, you know, throughout my career, I fought for world titles, fought on Bellator and etc. Um, I think I've been fighting a lot stiffer competition. So, um, I feel like I'm more experienced than him and everything. Where you know the difference between Nascimento, Nascimento had 25 professional fights and been fighting at world level for a, a decent while. Where you know Carlos Candelero has only really fought three opponents who are any good, and he arguably lost all three of them fights. Um, you know he's one or two. Arguably he lost all three of them. There was you know because the other one was a close fight. So. Um, but I've looked at him. I think he's got he's got good. He's got definitely he's got good grappling. He's definitely going to look to you know try to take me down to the ground and grapple with me because you know he won't like it when I hit him. So he's definitely going to be looking to grapple and that. But he's good, man. He's good, but he ain't on my level anywhere. So yeah. So it, it sounds like to me that you you do a lot of the the film work and in the background work on your opponents yourselves. Is is that true or do you do? a lot of that waiting with your coaches and your coaches feed you that information. Cause that, I mean, you just dropped a, pretty much a whole tapology page on me there. Um, you know, I do a lot of looking into myself, obviously, obviously my training, my trainers doing the, um, you know, put Pacific drills into my, um, my training, which is aimed towards the fight. I also, you know, spar in a way where I'm sparring for my opponent. So, um, you know, I focus. You know, I've watched a lot of tape, and we focus a lot on him. 
Um, so yeah, I have done a lot of watching this film. Um, I, you know, I ain't up every day watching it, but I'm definitely watching it. You know, a couple times a week. Um, I watch his fights. Um, you know, funny thing is he's fought a lot of south southpaws as as of recent as well. So there's quite a lot of footage of him fighting southpaws as well. So. It's kind of like um, there's some good footage of him, you know what I mean? I should imagine he's watching me if he's got a brain as well. But to be honest, when I watch him and I then I go and watch myself or something, I don't know how him and his coaches think he even stands a chance in this fight, to be honest. But, you know, he's a good opponent. Um, but I, I feel I'm better than him everywhere. Love it and love the confidence. Now, I, I'm going to get your official prediction on that fight in just a second, but I did want to ask you about fighting in the apex because i know it's something that you've already done right yeah. obviously you were you were on the the contender since you were supposed to, you know you beat mitch raposo on there another high level opponent but you you were about to fight in front of a big live pay-per-view crowd for the first time uh, against victor altamirano which didn't obviously work out but it, is it kind of disappointing that you wound up back in the apex or is it kind of you know does it feel good to be going back to a place you're familiar with um to be honest i don't really care where i'm going to be fighting because i just wanted to to fight, to be honest. Like, I didn't really care who the opponent was. I think after fighting Nascimento in the debut there, because obviously I've watched a lot of the guys in the division before I even got to the UFC. Um, you know, and to be honest, I didn't think I thought half of them was shit, to be honest. And Nascimento was one of the only guys who I thought was any good. Um, so I didn't even care, you know, I don't, I don't care who I'm fighting because... You know, I don't really care. But um, as in location, I, I didn't really care about that either, just based on the fact that I wanted to fight because I'd been out with injury and I wanted to at least fight another once this year, you know what I mean? So, you know, it would probably be better with a crowd. But, you know, at the apex, I've got, I've got like, I can use the PI and, um, you know, there's not so many people there. It's a bit easier, you know what I mean? Uh, I've got got everything for me there so you know and i've done it before so it's it's just it's just another day in the office really mate awesome now like i said i i do like to end these interviews each and every time by trying to get a prediction out of the fighter do you got a prediction for how this one ends with candelario to be honest i feel like i can knock him out or i can submit him really you know i can pick whatever i want to do to him really for you know i can knock him out or i can submit him so I think he's going to be a finish. Um, he is a tough guy, though. He is a tough geezer from what I can see. He won't quit. Um, he won't curl up in a ball and quit on the floor or nothing like that. So he'll take a good beating. Um, he'd, he's not a guy I don't I don't think who would tap to like a submission. I think he'd let his arm break or he'd get to sleep. So he's going to be an hard guy to finish, but... He's human like anyone else, and he can only take so much damage like anyone else. If I shut his lights off, he can't fight, you know what I mean? So I do predict a finish, but if not, it's just going to be a dominating uh, decision win for me. He's definitely a tough guy, though, so we'll see come come November the 5th. All right, well, you're here to hear first, folks. This has been Jake Hadley, who fights Carlos Candelario at UFC Vegas 64. That fight, once again, on November 5th. Jake, thank you so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries, mate. Well, we've enjoyed that interview with Jake Hadley. I once again have Daniel Gubby Freeland joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, I want to start here. 
This past weekend at UFC Vegas 63, we got another really weird main event that ended via injury. Arnold Allen tops Calvin Cater. It seemed like he was on the way to doing it anyway. But my question for you, like all of these other main event injuries, is what does this do for Arnold Allen? Does this guy wind up with a title shot off of this? Does he wind up with an interim title shot off of this? Is he in no man's land? What what are we doing with the brand? So, you know, these divisions are so ultra competitive. I have a huge problem, a huge problem giving him a title shot off of that. But then when you look at the fact that he's undefeated and has reeled off, you know, since his UFC debut, uh, nine wins, right? He's nine and zero in the UFC, or is he? I think that I think that one was ten. I think that was ten. Yeah, right. So Cater, a bullshit one, albeit. But he had won nine in a row up to the freakiness. And he was going to win the Cater one, too. I agree with you there. I would like to see one more. I know that's kind of crazy to say. But at the same time, if they give it to him, it's not a crime. Who – can you remind me? I'm thinking right now off the top of my head, and it's not coming to me, but didn't someone at 170 – was it like – what was Leon Edwards' fight before the title? It was Diaz, right? Or did – who had a weird injury – Heading into a title shot or a weird injury. You're, you're thinking win. of Leon Edwards. I mean, like, I think you're thinking of Leon Edwards back before the pandemic was scheduled to fight Kamara Usman the first time. Couldn't get overseas uh, due to COVID. I think he may have even got COVID, if I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. That title shot went to Gilbert Burns instead in the interim, you know, we wind up with the whole Masvidal situation and everything that happened from that. And like Leon Edwards largely took a backseat for a little while. You know, then he, he got the weird eye poke victory or eye poke, no contest over Bilal Muhammad. Um, yeah. Like that. Okay. That's I think that's what the one you're thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So, and then they made him fight Diaz, which, you know, more or less a walk in the park other than the last 30 seconds. I think I would go that route. If I'm the UFC matchmakers, give him one more, uh, one more guy to to beat into that title shot. 145 is a stack division. I'd like to see Arnold Allen have one more win, but you know I can also see the case if you just give him the title shot. What would you do, Gumby? I I think for me, I think I'm leaning towards interim title shot here because it seems like it, it seems like Alexander Volkanovsky is going to go fight Islam Makhachev, right? Like that's by all like the UFC seems to be pointing to it. Islam seems to be pointing to it. Uh, Volkanovski seems to be pointing to it. And then there's also the off chance Volkanovski gets hurt coming off of that. Or Volkanovski, hell, if he wins that, he's already talked about wanting to defend against Benil Dariush. Um, so it, it seems like his eyes are off of 145, which means to me that they got to start thinking about what we're doing at 45 then. Because you, like you said, it's a stacked division. There's there's two young guns, or I, I guess one of them's not all that young, but two up-and-comers in Josh Emmett and Arnold Allen, who seemingly both have a case. Then you got the, like, name-brand guys of the division and Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway, who always have the hype train behind them. All four of those guys are, you know, as Dana White likes to call it, in the mix. So which one do we give the title shot to? Why not pick two of them, right? Like, why not pick two of them? And if we were going to go two with the most deserving, you go Arnold Allen and Josh Emmett. But it does feel like that's probably one that doesn't sell all that well, right? So maybe the right answer is, 
Yair Rodriguez, Arnold Allen, or maybe it's Josh Emmett versus Max Holloway, but some combination of that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I like it. I like where your head's at, and I like where our head's at because we need to get to our favorite segment on the show, fights, dogs, parlays, for UFC Vegas 64, giving you a couple of fights we like, breaking them down, giving you a dog, a parlay to play. You're going to like the way we handicap and predict things. I guarantee it. Gumby, before we get into UFC Vegas 46... Does anyone sponsor this edition of Fight Dogs and Parlays? Absolutely. Fight Dogs and Parlays is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. All right. Well, let's start with, I like to say, a banger of a main event, and I don't know that this card has a lot of bangers on it. It's headlined by Marina Rodriguez, a minus 205 favorite, to Amanda Lemos, a plus 175 dog. Our girl Marina is on a four-fight win streak, uh, coming off a big split decision win over Yan Jiaonan, beat Mackenzie Dern before that, really looked very impressive in her last few fights. Amanda Lemos, the Brazilian, who I believe has gotten out of Brazil. There was some worry that she wouldn't have gotten out of Brazil with a little bit of political upheaval this week. Uh, but she's coming off a submission victory via guillotine choke over Michelle Waterson. Lost to Jessica Andrade before that. She is the dog here. Any reason to take her? Who you got? I don't think there's any reason to take her. I'm going to take Marina Rodriguez here. I, I really think the thing for me that I really like about Marina is – just how polished she is on the feet, right? Like, she's so crisp in her striking. You know, I, I think I said it when she was an up-and-comer. She reminds me in her, her striking a lot of, like, a Diaz brother in the way that she, like, she uses her jab well. It, it doesn't seem like she loads up on anything, like, really heavily and is, like, trying to take your head off ever. But she, like, is constantly touching you. I love that about her. She also fights really long. You know, I... I, I heard this matchup get made and i was like well marina rodriguez has got to be so much longer it's a two inch height advantage and a zero inch reach advantage which i just it, it couldn't fathom that because she fights so much longer than amanda lemos the other thing is too is like obviously lemos has had issues with the grappling i don't think Rodriguez wants to bring the fight there but i do think you know with that fact being there i, I just don't feel comfortable picking her because i don't think she can bring it there either um and, you know, really, with the way Rodriguez looked against Mackenzie Dern in the grappling department, I actually wouldn't be surprised if she had an advantage there, too. So, yeah, I, I'm taking the favorite all day here. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see much reason to take Lemos. I don't even like her at the one, plus 175. If that was maybe over two, I'm a little more enticed, but that's just where I stand. Neil Magny is a minus 120, facing Daniel Rodriguez, a very the light dog at plus 105. Magni coming off a loss to Shavkat Rachmanov, uh, lost via guillotine choke. Daniel Rodriguez on a four-fight win streak, coming off a split decision win over Li Zheng Lang, beat Kevin Lee via unanimous decision before that. Tight fight here. Who you? It's tight. Who you got? I'm actually going to go with Neil Magni, and I can't believe I'm saying this because I really thought when this fight was booked, I was like, I don't know, Daniel Rodriguez is on such a roll but then I look back to that fight with Lee Jingliang, and, and dude, there there are some holes there in, in some things that, like, make me hesitate a little bit. And then somebody reminded me, uh, you know, tip my hat off to this friend. 
just what Neil Magny looked like beating the shit out of Li Jingliang not all that long ago. Like two years ago, he manhandled him. I believe it was UFC 248 way back in the day, uh, the Idesanya Romero card, which, by the way, was, you know, not a banger of a main event. But he manhandled him. He made him look like he wasn't even there. And the thing about Neil Magny that I think a lot of people forget is that it's not just the, like, long-rangey boxing and holding people up against the cage, but his wrestling is so good, too. And I've seen from Daniel Rodriguez occasionally some issues with the wrestling, right? Like, he hasn't looked perfect in the wrestling department his whole career we saw a problem with him fighting nicholas dalby that way um and and it cost him his you know lone loss in the ufc so i'm a little bit worried about that i think the strength of schedule really favors neil magny i also think people are writing him off based on his loss to shopkat rachmanov and let me tell you something there ain't no shame in losing to that dude so uh, i'm gonna take neil magny here yeah, I think it's interesting when someone comes in as the dog on the four-fight win streak versus, you know, Magny, who, again, strength of schedule, though, coming off a loss, but two wins before that, a loss to Michael Chiesa before that. Okay, so he's losing to some of the best of the best. Um, that is why you get close odds, but Magny's still the favorite with you all the way. Grant Dawson is a minus 205 favorite. Marco Madsen a plus 175. Uh, Dawson is coming off a win over Jared Gordon via rear naked choke. Had a draw with Ricky Glenn before that. Beat Leonardo Santos before that. Um, he's really, other than the draw, he is three. He is six zero and one in the UFC. Very impressive. Um, and uh, you know, he finds himself as the two to one favorite here against Mark O'Madson again. Mark O'Madson, the plus one seventy five dog. Who you got? I'm going to go with, and I've been back and forth on this one quite a bit. I'm actually going to go with Marco Madsen on this one. Um, Yeah, it's weird for me in in thinking about this one because for me, O'Madsen is is a much worse striker than Grant Dawson. Uh, Significantly worse striker, but he does have that very odd style of wrestling that has caused issues for literally everybody he's fought, right? Um, now, granted, he didn't exactly try to take Clay Guida down. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure he attempted to take down in that fight. But, like, he he poses threats for stopping the takedowns, too, and forcing you to fight in kind of a realm you don't want to fight. He, he took down Vince Pichel whenever he felt like it. He spent a lot of time on top of Vince Pichel. And Vince Pichel is a tough dude to wrestle. He's not the easiest dude in the world to wrestle either. So, you know, I think the relentless takedown game of Marco Madsen is going to be tough for, for Grant Dawson. And don't get me wrong, Grant Dawson, a great wrestler too, but notoriously his takedown defense has not been great. I also worry about what it looked like when Ricky Glenn was on top of him in that fight. Because Ricky Glenn, not a grappler, but... 10 aided him in the third round just by like ground and pound and nearly finishing him. So if Ricky Glenn can do that and, and granted Jared Gordon didn't, uh, but if Ricky Glenn can do that, I, I've got some faith here in Marco Madsen. All right. And that gets us to our dog of the week. Nate Maness, a plus one Let's hear it. Yeah. I, I love Nate Maness uh, for a couple of reasons here in this fight. First of all, I know sometimes it's it's hard to take somebody going down a weight class because that's what Nate Manis is doing here. And obviously that scares a lot of people off. It's probably why he's at plus 150. But we've also seen the dude has some excellent wrestling, particularly when he is the aggressor. Tagiro Lombikov, despite the fact that he has a scary Eastern European sounding name, not much of a wrestler. In fact, we saw him get out wrestled by Tim Elliott last time. 
So I think Nate Manis has that advantage. We've also seen Nate Manis show a lot of prowess on the feet. We saw him beat Tony Gravely at up, up at 135 pounds. So now that he's down at 25, sure, I'm not sure how it will affect his gas tank. I'm not sure how it will affect his striking. But I do think he's got all the skills that should give Tagir Lompikov plenty of trouble. I like it. Our parlay to play is Jake Hadley, a minus 275, and Johnny Munoz, a minus 195. Two very solid favorites, almost a 3-1, to one, almost a 2-1. to one, But pair them together, get your plus 106 odds, break it down. Yeah, so they're more than just our two guests for this week, but Jake Hadley and Johnny Munoz are two of my favorite picks for this week because Jake Hadley, while he had a little bit of trouble in his debut, he has shown time and time again that he's got really great wrestling attacks. We saw him absolutely manhandle his opponent on the contender series and no slouch of an opponent either fighting a guy who was on the ultimate fighter. Now he's fighting Carlos Candelario, a dude who prefers to grapple, but I think is going to be at a disadvantage here. And I think Jake Hadley winds up with the advantage, both on the feet and the mat. You see him as a massive favorite. So let's pair him together with Johnny Munoz, another guy with sensational grappling fighting Lukadovic Shalinian, a guy off that same season, the ultimate fighter, who had trouble when he was put on his back or when he wasn't able to get his own grappling going. So, yeah, I like both of these two to get the wrestling going and pick us up up some plus money. Yes, let's do that. And we hope you enjoyed this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Let us know if we did you right. Let us know if we did you dirty. You can reach us on the social medias at Top Turtle MMA. Uh, Gumby, we're doing good work and having fun doing it. What should we do next now? Well, we're going to transition now to my interview with Johnny Munoz, the aforementioned Johnny Munoz, who is going to be fighting Ludovic Shalinian this upcoming weekend. And you can catch that interview right now. All right, and joining me today is Johnny Munoz, who fights Ludovic Shalinian at UFC Vegas 64. That fight is, of course, on November 5th. So, Johnny, I, I wanted to start here. I had recently read online somewhere that you actually got your black belt from your mom and your dad. C- could you explain to us, like, how, how early did they get you into training yeah. for that? <laughs> well, yeah, so I started just at five years old, and there wasn't something I liked to do, but, you know, I'm here now, and I'm, I'm glad my parents kept me in it. I ended up liking it, and now I'm in a main firefight for the UFC, and there's nothing more I'd rather do than to fight and be involved in mixed martial arts. But, yes, I received my black belt at the age of 20 after I won the SJGIF World's absolute at brown belt and then i received my black belt for my dad on the podium so yeah that's the best story how i got it there it was a great moment that that sounds like a great moment now i want to take it back to something you said there when you were five it, it was not something you wanted to get into you didn't like the idea of doing it despite the fact that it was i mean i assume your family's been into jujitsu since before you were born so yeah so it was my dad was a, a boxer at started boxing at 12 13 uh, they got into jiu-jitsu in 92, and jiu-jitsu was new in the United States at that time, you know what I mean? It was completely different, it's more barbaric, uh, a lot of gym challenges, that kind of stuff. And, uh, I, I was born in 93, but I started training in 98, and, uh, my mom wasn't training yet, uh, but my dad was already like a purple brown belt, or purple belt, I think. Uh, then he started getting me, teaching me stuff, and I just didn't like doing it, but, uh, he told me how to do it twice a week to learn self-defense, confidence, and to do something, you know what I mean? And, uh, and my dad was like, uh, both my parents were on the same page, and they weren't pushover parents like most parents, 
you know what I mean? So I knew I had to do it. It was like no it's no buts. They knew what's right for me, so I had to do it. I toughened it up. Uh, but, like, around eight, nine years old, I really started liking the sport. I used to go with my dad a lot to watch uh, UFC fights, pride fights. I like, the uh, club's house. And back then, like, big fights were very frequent. You know what I mean? It wasn't, like, every weekend like it is now. And uh, I was like, I just started seeing it. I was like, man, that looks cool. I want to do that one day. And uh, so I ended up doing jiu-jitsu first, obviously. Kids can't fight. I was doing a lot of tournaments, get my competitive experience up. Uh, before I transitioned to MMA. So that's kind of how I started the whole path right there into MMA. I love it. I love it. Now, I'm curious, too, because, you know, like everybody's got that story about their, you know, dad coaching their Little League team or, you know, their their mom teaching them this or that. Some people learn really well from their parents, and some people ha- have a really tough relationship with their parents when it comes to that. Was it was it easy for you to learn that kind of stuff from your parents, or, or was, you know, you, you have growing pains like everybody else? No, I mean, it's definitely a challenge for sure, but I knew, like, uh, like you know, my parents, like, they want what's best for me, you know what I mean? So it wasn't, like, a, a control thing or I was, like, being abused, none of that. It was just, like, my parents were tough on me, but it's for a reason. And uh, I thank them, you know what I mean? I feel like I'm very strong-minded person and I'm a person that can't be manipulated and influenced by outside sources like media and all that bullshit you know what I mean uh it's really taught me to believe in myself and you know do what's right and you know feel what's right and so I'm, I'm very thankful for them I learned a lot from them and uh they were they allowed me to really create a good foundation you know what I mean to be able to learn and pick up other things I could add to my arsenal and martial arts and in life. That's awesome to hear. Now, now you mentioned before, you know, going back and watching pride fights with your dad or the big UFC fights every, like you said, they were way less frequent. We only got to see them, you know, once a month or something like that. Was there a fighter in particular that helped guide you to, to feel like, you know, like this is definitely what I want to do. Was there somebody who influenced you? Yeah, I was trying to say Quentin Rampage Jackson. He was very excited to watch slamming people, and I was like, man, that, that looks cool. I remember as a kid, too, I bought a pair of camouflage shorts, and I wanted to be like Rampage. And I started, like, trying to double-A kids, pick them up in the air, and I thought I was like Rampage. So I, I would definitely say probably him the first one. I love it. I love it. Now, you know, I'm curious because you said at nine years old you had sort of decided, that's cool, I want to do it. You know, you get to see Rampage slam Arona right around that time if my math is correct yeah but but you you didn't go that path right away right like you wound up going to college getting the degree getting the master's degree kind of kind of doing the whole school school side of things now while training MMA obviously and while continuing to train but did you always know MMA was going to be your career path or were there times where you kind of thought that maybe that wasn't it no I always knew MMA would be the career path uh Right, like at nine, that's when I knew I wanted to do it. And I always visualized myself fighting as an adult and doing that as a career. And I only went to school for get a degree, you know what I mean? Get something, have something. It was a cool experience, you know what I mean? Uh, the most I took away from school was being able to communicate with people who, you know, from different backgrounds, different race, ethnicity, religion, and people I, I don't agree with on a lot of things, but I was able to communicate with them and get, get work done, you know what I mean? But to me, that was the, the big take I really learned from school. Uh, but I always knew I was going to fight and 
like I got my degree, but I haven't used it at all. So I mean, uh, I just see myself really being involved in MMA. That's what I love to do. Well, and we love watching you do it. So let let's talk about the next time you get to do it, which is this upcoming November fifth, Ludovic Shaolinian. I, I want to talk about him a little bit as an opponent because if you saw him in the Ultimate Fighter house, he was a dude who kind of made his way through the house trying to use his grappling, trying to lean on his grappling skills, which are pretty good. Did you watch a lot of that? Have you seen a lot of him fighting? And if so, what are your thoughts on his grappling skills? Yeah, I mean, I've I seen a few of his fights. Uh, he's a, a heavy wrestler. He likes to grapple and stuff. A lot of his fights go to distance. He likes to, like, lay on you, uh, ride you out like that. But, you know, it's a fight, man. Every Every fighter's tough. We're in the UFC. It's the big league. So I'm always expecting a tough fight. So I know he's going to bring his A game. He wants to win. I want to win. But I know I'm going to walk out of this victorious. You know what I mean? Uh, I trained and been trained all my life. I'm prepared for mentally, physically. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I usually like to end these things. you got to do that November 5th. Yeah, and I usually like to end these things with a prediction. Can you give me a prediction? How do you see this one ending with Ludovic Shaolinian on November 5th? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can see it going different ways, man. You know, I like to visualize different scenarios. I don't like to just visualize one. Because at the end of the day, this is fighting. You know, fighting is real. There's nothing more real than fighting. And uh, anyone that steps in there, things don't always go according to plan. So you always got to have, like, a plan A, plan B, plan C. But I believe, you know, if... if, if if we stay on the feet, I'm I, I'm going to knock this guy out. I believe if we go to the ground, I'm going to sub him. And, you know, if he sticks it out, you don't want to tap. He lets his arm break. Maybe if he has a chin, chin of steel, then I'm just going to beat him up every second of the fight. So that's how I really see it playing out. And honestly, I'm happy with, with either outcome it goes for me. So I already seen it play in my head, so I'm good with either outcome. And it's just going to be me shining and uh, really uh, – showcase in the UFC why I'm somebody uh, they can count on and going to be bring excitement to the division. All right. Well, you heard it here first, folks. This has been Johnny Munoz, who fights Ludovic Shaolinian at UFC Vegas 64. That fight is on November 5th. Johnny, thank you so much for the time again. I really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you, man. I'm looking forward to reposting the interview and all that. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Top Turtle MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social and the Pick It app. And remind you guys that you can check us out on our social medias, at Top Turtle MMA, and both Twitter and Instagram. Until next week, I'm Daniel Gubby-Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.